titled The Spiritual Schizophrenic. And unfortunately, if that title doesn't feel like it resonates with you, my guess is we're going to get to a point in our text today where you're going to say, boy, I can very much so relate to that. I know exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he talks about this inner struggle that's going on inside of him. I don't have very many hobbies. I really don't. But if I had to be pressed on what a hobby of mine would be, it would have to be walking. I know that's not the most interesting hobby uh, for many people, but I'm able to listen to teaching and preaching while I walk. Sometimes I'll listen to singing. Sometimes I sing very loud. And um, I enjoy walking outside is my favorite But every once in a while, the weather will push me to a place where I can't walk outside. That is rarely my preference. I rarely um, uh, want to walk inside on a treadmill. But I do have one situation and one day in particular where I was driven to walk inside because of the weather. And I very much was not sorry that I walked inside on that day. You see, my walking took place on a treadmill down at the rec center here in town. And I don't like to be distracted by the TVs that they have there, so I move myself up to where I don't have any TVs in front of me, which means I have the glass that overlooks the pool area. And on this particular day, there was a school that had rented out the pool. And I watched these kids swim and play and have fun for about an hour And then when they were done, I found the uh, kids who were clearing out. And there was one teacher who was not dressed for swimming. He was in his regular clothes. And then one kid who was a little bit mischievous walking next to that teacher. And as I was there minding my own business on the treadmill, I watched as this teacher walked alongside the pool. And this little guy, maybe a fourth grader, walking right by his side. And that little guy decided that he was going to try to give that teacher a little push towards the pool. My guess is, as the teacher thought to himself, I'm bigger than this guy, I'm stronger than this guy, and I'm smarter than this guy. So I don't have anything to worry about. And as they walked down toward the exit, that little guy pushed a little bit harder and a little bit harder until, splash, the teacher with all of his clothes on went in the pool. And I tried not to laugh because I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I was laughing on the inside, to be honest. And the first thing he did was reached back for his wallet, which was submerged in four feet of water, and he pulled the wallet out and put it out there. And then can you guess the next thing he reached for to get out of the water? His cell phone. He grabbed his cell phone that was submerged in water and put it up on there. And I was trying to read the lips of what he was saying to this young man who shoved him in the water. But um, I couldn't quite make out what he was saying. And then the teacher had to go and dive down in the water and pick up some things that had come out of the pockets and had gone out in the pool. I do think that that teacher probably thought he was safe because he was bigger, he was stronger, he didn't have anything to worry about, possibly what, what was in his mind. And yet, he went splash in the water. I think that as we look at our passage today, what might resonate with some people is the idea that, you know, I've been around for a while, so I'm pretty smart. I've figured out the way to do life in several ways. I've gotten stronger in certain areas of my walk with God. And yet, sometimes there are some people who find themselves 
repeatedly going back to sin because they thought they could beat it on their own. They didn't think they would be knocked into that sin. What we'll see in God's word today is the example of a believer that you and I can relate to. And what he went through with temptation, with giving in to temptation, and for what path he took to get victory over that sin. And of course, that believer is the Apostle Paul. Some of you might say, I'm not sure if I relate very well with the Apostle Paul. I think by the time we get to our second point today, that you'll be able to. But I'm going to need some group participation from you, if you'd be willing to help me out. Now, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7, and we're also going to be starting out in Romans chapter 8. But what I want you to do is I want you to have this stuck in your head when you're facing temptation, this little line that we're going to memorize. I want you to have this line in your head, and if you are tempted, or if you have given in to sin, I want you to remember this line that will take you right to a specific place in the Bible. Let me tell you what I want you to uh, learn along with me in this service, and we'll see if you've got it memorized by the end. It is this short line that starts with a nice exclamation, the word boy. What I want us to say is, boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. Would you say that with me? Let's say it together. Boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. All right, I think you'll see why when we get through our message today. We've already talked about the Apostle Paul's teaching on the law. And the law, as he taught through it, he was trying to undo some feelings of some of the Jewish believers that were in Rome that put a lot of emphasis on the law. And so Paul tells them that the law cannot save them And that would be a discouragement to some who had such a fondness for the law. They had been released from the law. And some of you might even remember when we talked more recently about the law and how there is something within rules, something within a law, that when you hear about it, it actually incites you to want to break that rule. Stirs up something within us. It stirs up rebellion. And so there's some things being said about the law that might cause some people to want to throw the law out the window. But Paul corrects that and he lets the people know the problem is not with the law. That's not not where the problem is. But instead the problem lies in the law breaker. And also we understand about the law that God never gave the law to man to bring them into a right relationship, to change their hearts. Instead, what God gave to man to bring us to him and to change our hearts was the gospel. Now, let me give you a little bit of explanation about Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through 25, because if you go and do a little bit deeper study, you will likely find that this passage is interpreted in a couple different ways. I'm going to tell you both of those ways, and then I'm only going to camp out on one of them as we study it for ourselves this morning. One of those ways of how some people interpret this passage is that the Apostle Paul is talking about his experience present day as a Christian and how he battles as a Christian with giving in to sin. How he battles with not doing the things that he knows he is supposed to do. And so we'll find that, um, that's one of the interpretations that we find there. And the other interpretation that some people think is how Paul is writing this, is that Paul is looking backwards. He's seeing this retrospectively, 
at his experience before coming to Jesus Christ. Because Paul had a very serious relationship with the law before he got saved. You'll remember he was an expert on the law. But when he found Christ, he learned that the law could only help him with the outward, and it did absolutely nothing for his heart. It didn't do anything to help him understand the grace that would change him not only on the outside, which is important, but also what would change him on the inside. So what do you think it is? Is Paul talking about his present day experience of struggling with sin? Or do you think he's talking about before he was a believer? There, are, there is a case to be made for both of those. But as I study through the passage in the chapter before, which is Romans chapter 6, remember Romans 6? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And then when we go past Romans 7 to Romans chapter 8, and we find that he is giving us exactly how we can have victory over sin in our life, it makes me think that Paul is speaking there about what he went through in his own life. When he says, I know the things I'm supposed to do, and I do not do them like I want to. And when he says, there are some things that I know I'm not supposed to do, and those are the very things that I do. I think that he is speaking from his heart. And I think that's a huge blessing to me. Isn't that an encouragement to you? That this super Christian, the Apostle Paul, struggled with sin? Now, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but we're going to look at what he gave to have victory over sin. And so the Apostle Paul knew what it took to get victory over sin. And yet, in Romans chapter 7, we see that he still struggles with sin. That's a blessing to me. And I'm not rejoicing in Paul's suffering that he struggled with sin. But for someone who is such a mature and wonderful Christian, who gave us 13 books in the New Testament, how wonderful it is to know that he went through some of these same things that I went through. All right, all that to bring us to our text. But before we read verse 14, I'm going to repeat it one more time and then we'll say it to, I'll say it by myself one time and then you say it with me. Here's what I want you to remember that's going to help you when you're struggling with temptation or when you've fallen into sin. The line is, boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. Say it with me. Boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. All right, we are in or we're supposed to be, in uh, Romans chapter 7. Sorry about that. Romans chapter 7, and look at verse number 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. We're going to see three points today if you're taking notes. The first point really is drawn from the previous verses and summed up there in verse 14. The last point is the jumping off stage to chapter 8 where it talks about new life in the Spirit. And then the middle point is the long one that we'll spend more time on. But if you're taking notes, number one, the reason why you struggle, the reason why I struggle, is because I struggle with who I am. He says that we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. Remember, he has just described the law from God's point of view. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. And so he would say again, the problem is not with the law. Don't try to blame the law. But instead, we have to point the finger right back at ourselves. 
And while the law wonderfully reveals the character of God to us, the law also does something else. When we get to know the law, and more specifically, try to keep the law, what it does is it reveals just how far we have fallen from God's standard of righteousness. We saw this in the 20th verse of Romans 3, where it says, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Sometimes when you look at something with the naked eye, it is, uh, it, it shows a good picture of what is really there. But sometimes we need to take a closer look. I wonder how many of you, like me, had the opportunity when you were in school, maybe high school or junior high, of being able to look at something through a microscope. How many of you were able to look through a microscope when you were in school? Okay, several of us. Oftentimes, when you look at something with the naked eye, you can't quite see what is really there. And a microscope helps with this. Maybe it stands out in your mind what you saw when you looked through a microscope. But if you were to take an object just as simple maybe as a piece of your hair, let's say you've got a microscope there and you take out a piece of your hair, and you know full well that you just shampooed your hair in the last few hours. And perhaps you even have a fancy new conditioner that you put on that hair, so it's going to be extra clean. And when you looked in the mirror and you were able to uh, look at your hair, it just laid perfectly in place, just like you wanted it to. And so you feel pretty confident that your hair is going to look pretty good. So you, bing, pull that hair out of your head, and you put it on the microscope. And when you put a piece of your hair underneath the microscope, you will find a dirty, gnarly, nasty something that is revealed. Some people might even see something moving around on that hair. And it's horrible to look at that and to think, that's what my hair looks like? Well, that's not what it looks like to everybody else, unless they've got a telescope in there looking in on your head. What we find with the law is it acts as a microscope to allow us to understand the reality of our life before a holy God. His standard is so high and none of us could possibly reach it. Now, in verse 14, we said that that the law is spiritual. That's what Paul writes. The law is spiritual. This is telling us that the law not only deals with the outer, which everybody is familiar with the outer rules, and not only deals with the outer, but it also deals with the heart. Multiple times in God's word, we are told we have to be perfect. Be ye perfect. Your Father in heaven is perfect. This is the standard. Jesus Christ taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. When he told those people, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And they would look at that and say, that's impossible. How can any man do this? Exactly. No man can do this on their own. So let me reverse back to my opening illustration. Walking along with confidence, there's a danger that's creeping up. The possibility of that man getting pushed in the water or you getting pulled into sin. And if you think that you are strong enough or smart enough 
or you've been around long enough to avoid that, then you are going to be in for a splash. I struggle because of who I am. The law is not just given to govern the outward actions, but it's given to drive the inward attitude. That's what God wants to see. All right, we're going to go to point number two. But before we do that, I'm going to see how many of you have memorized my little line today. Let's say it together if you know it. Boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. Very good. Very good. Okay, point number two. Why do we struggle with sin? I struggle because of what I've experienced. I've been around. I understand the dangers that are there. And I struggle big time because of what I have experienced. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. Read with me starting in verse number 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so... I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The reason why we struggle is because what we have experienced. It could be that you would say, I have tried. I've tried to get victory over that sin. I've tried to put that away. I've tried to start this that God wants me to start. Everyone can relate to what the Apostle Paul is telling us here. When it comes to sports, there are a few names of famous coaches or managers that stand out who had a career that lasted decades. One such uh, person is the manager for the Dodgers, and that was Tommy Lasorda. Tommy Lasorda managed the Dodgers for about 20 years, from the mid-70s to the mid-90s. Tommy Lasorda was known for a number of things, and physically, what you think of when you think of Tommy Lasorda, if you remember his picture, is he was known for having a big belly. Now, I'm not trying to be unkind in my talk about him. I'm trying to point out something for the sake of illustration today. So, if you'll forgive me for saying Tommy Lasorda had a big belly, you might understand the rest of the illustration a little bit better. You see, Tommy Lasorda was able to get things done on a baseball team. He was able to win two world championships. He had good success. Tommy Lasorda was able to do a whole lot on his own. In fact, he decided to apply some of that power, some of that strength, to some personal habits that he had in his life. You see, Tommy Lasorda was a man that smoked. And so there came a day where he took his cigarettes and he held them out. He writes about this in, in some of his writings. 
he holds the cigarettes out and he asks the question, who's stronger, you or me? And then he answered the question, I am. And he took those cigarettes and he put them away and he never smoked again. Sometime later, he applied the same tactic to the practice of drinking his vodka martinis that he drank too many of. One day he held one of those vodka martinis and he said, who is stronger, you or me? And then he answered the question, I am. And he put that away and never struggled with the vodka martinis anymore. And then it came to dieting. And Tommy Lasorda decided to apply the same kind of power and wisdom and strength to his dieting. And so his favorite meal was linguine with clam sauce. And so Tommy Lasorda went one day and sat down and as he was eating that linguine with clam sauce, he did the same thing. He asked the question, who is stronger, you or me? And then he writes, a little tiny clam poked its head up and said, I am, just like that. And he was never able to get victory in the area of his eating. The linguine with clam sauce always won in that battle. I'm not saying that you don't have the ability to have some kind of a, of a victory over something on your own. But I am telling you, for these besetting sins, these sins that you seem that you've struggled with them for years and decades and maybe your whole life, for these kinds of sins, you cannot muster enough willpower on your own. You cannot make a good enough strategy from your own mind to get victory over those sins. And I know that because the Apostle Paul wasn't able to do that. He does point us to where the victory is. Lasorda was simply not strong enough to beat the Longuini with clam sauce. And this is our experience. In our flesh, you cannot do it. But don't stop there. Too many people stop with the passage that we just read. I'm in good company. The Apostle Paul, he says it right there. The things I don't want to do, I'm doing. The things I want to do, I'm not doing those. I'm good. Too many people stop in Romans chapter 7 and they do not continue on with where Paul goes to in Romans chapter 8. The best part about Romans chapter 7 is that it leads us to Romans chapter 8. And so if you've memorized it by now, say it with me. Boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Galatia in chapter 5, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Is this resonating with anybody else? And Paul is going to give us the solution. We must not stay there in Romans chapter 7. But the struggle is real, isn't it? Isn't this real? Isn't this hard? It was C.S. Lewis who wrote, No one knows how bad he is until he tries to be good. And once you try to be good, it's going to come through how, much, how far you fall short. So this is not an excuse to be sinful, but rather this is a notice. A notice to be mindful of our enemy who wants to trip you up in sin. Boy, am I glad for chapter 8. Now before we get to chapter 8, he asks a question. It was the last verse that we just read in verse number 24 of chapter 7. 
where he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then praise the Lord, he answers that question. After going through all these problems that I face and that you face as well, he gives the answer. If you're taking notes, number three is, I struggle until there are no more fleshly desires. We're going to struggle until there are no more fleshly desires. And of course, that's going to be when we're with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me start reading in verse number 25, and I'll go through chapter 8, verse 4. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done away with the law, weakened by the flesh, done away with the law, weakened by the flesh, what could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so he ends there by saying, by walking not according to the flesh, but by walking according to the Spirit. And right before he says that, he gives a key word to help us with this. It's a two-letter word. It says there in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, what? In us. We do not fulfill the requirement of the law on our own. It is, not, it is not fulfilled by us. But instead it is done by someone else. Let me ask a question. If you're a follower of Christ, how did you get saved? How did you come to Christ? Was it that you decided that in your life you were going to clean up your life so much That when God looked down in this earth, he saw you and he said, I cannot resist taking that one to be in my family. Did you clean yourself up and get yourself to where you could get to heaven? No. It was God. God chose you in your sin. And that's why the blood of Jesus Christ has to be applied to each one of our accounts if we would accept Christ as our Savior. This work was done in us, not by us. And the good news is, is the way you live in victory as a Christian is the same way that you became a Christian. You don't do it yourself. God gave us the Holy Spirit to help us get victory over sin. I oftentimes will remark how I doubted the words of Jesus Christ when he was leaving his disciples He had trained them and he's getting ready to go up to heaven. And he said, it's good that I'm going away. Something better is going to come. And I oftentimes think, no way they bought that. No way. What is better than God the Son right there with them all the time? And you know what's better? God, the Holy Spirit, within each one of the believers in this world, all across this world. And what the Holy Spirit does convicts us of of sin, 
teaches us from God's Word, guides us in our life, we are allowed to walk in a way that is of the Spirit, not of the flesh. So the one who saves you is the same one who sanctifies you. There's an expression that uh, gets used sometimes in Christian circles, and it's this. Jesus cleans all the fishes that he catches. What does that mean? Jesus cleans all the fishes that he catches. Well, if you can imagine a fisherman, some of you are fishermen, if you can imagine a fisherman leaning over the side of the boat and seeing some fish down there and saying, you know what? I'm going to wait until I find a fish that's been cleaned because I don't like cleaning fish. So I'm going to wait until I find a fish that's been cleaned and then I'm going to catch that fish. I'll, I'll, I'll go one up on that. This is where I'd be coming from. I want to find a fish that's been cleaned, it's been cooked, and there's even a little side of tartar sauce right next to him. I'm going to catch that fish and that's what I want to have for supper tonight. And of course that never happens. We do not come to God as already clean. Jesus cleans all the fishes that he catches. When you come to Jesus, you come as you are. You are a sinner. You're an enemy of God. And beautifully, God loves you in your sin. But God loves you too much to leave you that way. That's why we are thankful for what we find out in these upcoming verses that we're going to be going through. So if you've memorized it, say it with me. Boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. The fact that you struggle with sin reveals that for you there is coming a day where you'll no longer struggle with sin. There's coming a day when you no longer have to fight that fight. When I look at different music, I'm encouraged by some words, and sometimes I want to take them and apply them in a unique and different way. This morning as I was getting ready, there was a song that came uh, over my playlist, and it was a song called, It Is Finished. It is finished, the battle is over. It is finished, there will be no more war. It is finished, the end of the conflict, and Jesus has won. And the context of that song is, it's talking about when Jesus Christ was on the cross and he called out the words, it is finished. The full price for the sins of humanity had been paid. Everything was done. And I heard that song and I selfishly thought to myself, I sure wish I could say that song about my own sin in my life. It is finished. No more battling. No more struggling. No more giving in to temptation. No more falling short of what I know I should do. And yet, we can't sing that song about our own sin. But instead, what God has given us is the Holy Spirit. When someone has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, when someone has come, in, come to God, recognized they are a sinner, of which we all are, and because of that sin, that's why Jesus died on the cross, and if we will just ask God to forgive us of our sin and make us his child, we will become a child of his. We'll be born again as the Bible teaches us. We can't say that right now, that the sin is no longer going to be there, but we need to move from Romans chapter 7 to Romans chapter 8. That's where the victory is. Don't stop. Don't say this is just the way I'm going to be. Understand that God wants you to take a step further and have incredible victory. 
All right, what can you do with this? What can you and I do? Well, first of all, and this might be our takeaway for the next couple of uh, messages as well. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, we keep ourselves so busy with the things of God that He wants us to do that we don't have any room for those other things. But you've got to keep yourself busy doing what God wants you to do. I've used the illustration before, but I think it's very appropriate. If you can picture your favorite holiday meal. Sometimes for some people it's Thanksgiving. Let's go to, let's fast forward to Thanksgiving meal. Can you do that with me? I know your stomachs will start growling if you think about it too much. But go ahead and think about Thanksgiving meal. And what's your, what's your typical spread for Thanksgiving? Maybe a delicious moist turkey with some gravy. And so you start to fill your plate up and you get the turkey on there and you put the gravy. And if you're like me, you might put some gravy over your potatoes too that are there. And then you grab the delicious rolls that are specially selected for that meal. And if you're like me, you might grab a second roll before you go to your chair. And then maybe some green bean casserole. Oh, I love that. And then at my house, we have sweet potato casserole at Thanksgiving time, which is kind of like having dessert before you have your dessert, which is incredible. And so you sit down at the table and you clean your plate. You eat everything and you are stuffed. But if you're like me, there was one thing that was your favorite thing at the meal. Someone's going to go back and have a little bit more, even though I don't have any room, I'm going to go back and have a little bit more of that. Put that on your plate, sit down and eat it, Oh, breathe a sigh of relief. And then the announcement comes. This year, we're not going to wait for dessert. We're going to have dessert right now. Well, you're not going to turn down your favorite kind of pie or your favorite kind of dessert. So bring it on and bring a cup of coffee along with that. And so as you finish that pie and finish that coffee and there's no room for anything else, you push yourself away from the table and you're so full, so content, Then I want you to imagine from the kids' table next door, a little kid comes over with a bologna sandwich on white bread and ketchup on it and sticks that sandwich right in your face. Hey, mister, want a bologna sandwich? You couldn't possibly be tempted to eat that bologna sandwich. Why? You don't have any room. You're so full of all these other wonderful things that you've just let your taste buds dance to in the last hour or so. No room for anything else. The same thing applies when we are walking in the Spirit, doing these things that God wants us to be busy with. We will not have time to be busy with the things of the flesh. And then more quickly, number two, what you can do is if you have fallen you can get up. That is not a typo. I realize I'm flying in the face of some very popular advertising. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. I understand that. But the Word of God teaches us if you have fallen, you can get up. A just man, a just woman falls seven times and rises yet again. And so you can get up. The Apostle Paul did. I'm so encouraged by this because he wrote Romans chapter 8, which means he knew the walking in the Spirit, the victory part. And he also says in Romans chapter 7, I struggle with these things. 
He writes it to these believers so they will be able to get along better, so they won't judge one another. But in order for you to get up, you must not wallow while you are down. I've fallen again. I've fallen again. God's mercies are new each day. God's grace is wonderful and beautiful. And his forgiveness cannot be exhausted. And so how, how is it that you are going to be able to go down this road, face that temptation, face that sin, and yet be able to advance, be able to get victory? Well, the reason why we know we can have wonderful victory is because of the expression that we've learned today. Would you say it with me? Boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to you, we thank you for the victory that you give, the work that was done on the cross, and how beautiful that was. We thank you that it is sufficient to make us clean in your eyes, Heavenly Father. But we also understand that your plan was to leave us here in this world for this present time for a reason. And you did not make it to where we would not fall into sin. God's sin is there. It's crouching at the door. And God, you know me. I, I give into it sometimes. And I thank you for this recipe that the Apostle Paul gives for how we can have victory over that sin. I thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, how that meant I could have fellowship